The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Bleachers. It's the Bleacher Blums podcast for the time being. We're going to be working on this uh, uh, throughout the course of uh, our transition, but we are going to start out with our first interview talking about golf. Tuttle and I like golf. I've got a good friend who is a caddy named John Adams on the LPGA Tour. He's done a couple of events. Uh, he plays in pro. He's 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 just a pro. He knows everything inside and out of golf. And uh, you're going to find out that this guy's actually played the LA Country Club. And we're going to talk to him about the U.S. Open. We're going to dig into the merger between the PGA and Live Golf Tours. But again, it's going to be myself, Blummer, and you've got Tuttle across the way. Tuttle, are you excited about this? I'm excited about it. Uh, we haven't talked to Johnny in a while, but as I mentioned um Previously, um, as we look for the name change that maybe um, you guys will see that we're kind of heading in a couple different directions and it's good to have experts on, but I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the golf tournament this weekend and I think after listening to this podcast, you guys will be too. And again, we're talking golf this podcast. We may talk uh, astrophysics next podcast. We may talk about uh, different baseballs. We may talk about just the game of baseball. It could be collegiate. It could be pro. It could be high school. You never know. That's why you tune into the bleachers, because we are going to try and be a little more diverse, bring some interesting people to you, and have some great conversations. So I hope you enjoy this one. This is John Adams, a good friend of the podcast, talking U.S. Open golf and the Live PGA Tour merger. Enjoy. All right, here we are in the bleachers, and we have got a special episode for you because I've got a very good friend named John Adams. And if you've been a lifelong member of the bleachers, you know who John Adams is. He is our go-to guru as far as golf is concerned. He's also a very good friend. And before we get things going, I'm going to get soft on you real quick because, Johnny, I don't know if you know this, it has been 20 years that we have been friends. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. 20 get, get years. The tissues out. Gosh, it was like it was yesterday. 20 years, right? And what people don't know is that John and I being friends, he also threw me BP for the latter half of my career. So I, I, I've, I've leaned on him a lot and we've, uh, we've had a lot of good times. But we are here to talk about the U.S. Open coming up at the L.A. Los Angeles Country Club. And uh, Johnny, how excited are you about this U.S. Open being in SoCal where you're at? Yeah, no, it's awesome. You know, it's a historic place that uh, not a lot of people know about, to be honest with you. You know, it's very, uh, 
very uh, private. Um, as you guys know, I don't know if you watch a little bit of, of the Golf Channel um, so far, but uh, no, no celebrities, no athletes. Uh, it's very strict business people. Can't wear shorts during the summer. Uh, all caddies. Um, so for them to kind of allow this to come to their to their place is uh, it's it's pretty pretty special. Um, and uh, in, and I've heard also they're going to bring it back in twenty thirty five. So um, yeah, so I think it's going to be something um, that is very uh, different to what these guys are used to seeing um, because. You know, usually on the U.S. Open, uh, there's a circuit, right? In Oakmont, and you know, it's it's Torrey Pines, and it, it just gets into this because now what's happened with golf now is logistically, it's it's really to hold a major, it's really not easy. So that's why your Ryder Cups that are in the United States will only be at places where you know, parking and 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 being able to handle like. Um, um, overflow and, and, um, you know, just hotels, like all, all that kind of stuff is just, it just now is just a big operation. Um, I will be honest with you. Uh, it is going to be a nightmare for parking. <laughs> it's going to be terrible in, in, in Los Angeles. It's going to be brutal, but that's why they're only allowing, I think at the most will be on the weekend is about 22,000 people. Oh come on! They're limiting uh, they're limiting access to uh, the patrons. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. and, and 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 you got to understand the the, the the members had priority here, so they have a certain amount of tickets, right? And then you know, and then and then they allow you know the, this is going to be uh, tighter than Augusta. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. There you go, and you know what? But Augusta probably allows. I don't know how many of you've been there. I, I by the way, I just got the hat. I, I, I've never been there before, but. Um, I don't know. Are they are they limited on? They limit it, but it's not to it, a certain amount of people. I have no idea. They limit it, but it's still like thirty five to you know. I think they get thirty five, forty thousand people in there. They don't get. Uh, they're not limiting it to twenty twenty two. That's crazy. Like the Ryder Cup for sure, right? I, I yeah. went to the Ryder Cup in Hazeltine. Uh, the last day they allowed seventy thousand people on the golf course. Damn, but, because they can. Yeah, logistically they can handle all the parking, right? And now you have. They love the riot atmosphere too up there, don't they? In the riot in the Ryder Cup. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they, and, and by the way, at the Ryder Cup in Hazeltine, I don't know what these people do for a living, but uh, they like to party, and they're allowing them to drink at like 10 in the morning, and just think that you have a hospitality tent on 17, they're, you're not going to see anybody forever, right? So yep. they're just half in the bag before the time you even get there. So, And by the way, there's only eight matches. That's it for the day. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Single. I'm sure the uh, LA Country Club is going to be a cheap ticket then if they reduce the number of people and there's no parking. So that'll be, that'll be good. So at least it'll be cost effective. Hey, Johnny, the question I have for you is in a, cor- a course like this, you just mentioned the tour like Hazeltine and obviously uh, Augusta and they kind of go around, they see these courses. I'm sure they were allowed some practice rounds, but this is like, I mean, stealth stuff, right? I mean, do they have to fly a drone over to get an idea of what the course looks like? I mean, is there going to be some uncertainty and some curiosity about the course and how it's going to play from even the best golfers in the world. Yeah. When you're already fully exempt into the uh, U S open, you have like, there were some guys when they were at Riviera that slid over and played some of these guys, you know, they know members or a guy that knows a member and the member's going to take them out to play. So there's always ways to get around that when you're uh, not until you are actually in the event, are you allowed to play a practice round? 
unless you know a member, right? Um, so that's that. The golf course, if you were to play it, oh, I don't know, a month ago, is going to play completely different. So there's a lot of guys that really, you know, they might go off and play practice rounds just to try to find lines off the tees. But the way that the Open's going to shave the golf course and how they're going to speed up the golf course is not going to be the same as when they played it a month, two months ago. So you're just trying to find your lines off the tees um, because you really don't know. Like, these guys are playing practice rounds right now, but they really don't know where the tee boxes are going to be. They could have a hole like seven that they play 280 yards, and then they wake up on Saturday and it's playing 175. I mean, they, they, they really don't know what the USJ is going to do. They also, when I caddy down on the LPGA Tour, uh, we played a U.S. Open uh, up at uh, Whistling Straits, um, and I watched them set up a green, and it was quite interesting because they literally have between six to nine different spots that they can put a pin completely based on the wind direction. Shut up. So what they do is they go here. Yeah, they say, here's our four on the natural wind direction. Here's going to be our four. But if it what if a Santa Ana blows? Well, then we're going to have to because this this hole will be absolutely unplayable. So we can't do that. So you got to be able to switch you know, uh, based on wind direction. So, um, and that's exactly what they're going to do at LA. What's, what's crazy about it is, uh, the, the course design, it, it teases you. It gives you a couple little par threes. You're like, Oh my gosh, there's this hole at 78 yards. That's a flick. That's going to be great. Oh, by the way, where we're going to put it is only going to have a six yard differential on where you can miss it. Because <laughs> if you don't hit it within the six yards, you're going to make four or five. I mean, it's, you know, so like something like that is like you look at the looper and the looper is going to look at it and go, hey, dude, you got to hit it 30 feet left of this flag. What are you talking about? 78 yards. Yep. You're going to have to hit it 30 feet left and try to make a bomb. But that's the kind of stuff that's uh, is there. So they're going to tease you a lot here. They're going to give you they're going to give you that par five. Right. So they're going to say, hey, here's one. Here's one. You're going to probably hit five iron into it. Great job. Here's your four. Now you're going to have to buckle up from here on in because you're going to play a 220, a 470, 0 on 6. We're going to give you one you can drive. Good luck. You got a chance to make birdie. 280 yard par 3, 400, 500 yard par. So it's going to really, really play with them. You know, they're really going to have to be strong mentally. Bogies are okay here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I saw the stat uh, yesterday. The last three or four winners of the U.S. Open never made a double bogey. Oh, damn. And that's going to be, I think, really big. So. Hey, the, so these majors, you know, there's there's four typically. You've got the Masters, U.S. Open, PGA, and uh, obviously the Open out in uh, in Europe. But as far as prestige is concerned, where does the U.S. Open fit into this whole, you know, where does it line up? Because everybody thinks the Masters is the number one. And then I would think that maybe, you know, the British Open would be the, the second one. Where does the U.S. Open stack up? And how do these guys view this? A lot of it has to deal on where you're from, Bomber. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're from a when you're from America, you're playing for your national open. So these guys really take that seriously. Being from from the U.S. or if you're out, if you're out of the country, you want to win this yeah. because you can say you won the U.S. Open. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the best way to look at it, and you've been to Augusta, it's all about the prestige. If mm-hmm. I win this, I'm in the group. Right. I got yeah. the green jacket. I can Exclusive. play there for a lot. You know, it's just it's just it's just this one special place. And it's and and to be in that 
Hall of Fame, like what you want to say, is absolutely, you know, just a special place to be, right? Um, the U.S. Open, I think, is the hardest major of them all, right? I think it's and, – and that's what the USGA wants. They want you to say, hey, look, it was the best ball striker. The guy had the best short game. He putted the best. He drove it the best. Like, it is going to be a test of patience um, and, and, and just – I think it's just a grueling, grueling golf tournament. The Open Championship, you talk to probably John Rahm or somebody like that. It's, you know, somebody from Europe that grew up in Europe. Maybe that's that's theirs, right? Um, and that's more about conditions, right? I think that's more, you know, they give you, it's all usually on a Lynx golf course. And it's all about conditions and being able to play in the wind and the rain and that kind of stuff. And it just gives you a different feel. But it, it's, you know, you're playing for continents there and stuff like that. Um and then the PGA of America is probably the, you know, probably just under the Open Championship. Yeah, by the way, Jeff, it's not called the British Open anymore. It's I know, the it's Open the Open. I know, we're yeah. so pure. We invented but the game, But it's the Women's it. British Open. That's the funny thing. I don't know if it's the Women's British Open. Seriously? But that's, yeah, I, I think, I don't know how it goes. But we have to I made a presentation to them in, a, in one of my booths, and they're like, do not say the British Open. I'm like, okay. And I went, boop, and I'm like, never mind. I, I almost said it. <laughs> so used to it. But in the U.S., we have to differentiate. That's the only – I mean, Jeff called it the Open Championship, but then you kind of feel, like, obligated to follow up with, you know, the one in Britain, like that one. But, yes, they, yeah. it's the yeah. Open Championship. Because that's the way it started, right? And then they yeah. changed yeah. it, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, it's just like I want to still call them the Cleveland Indians, but they're the Guardians. Oh, you know what I mean? Tr- so. Try doing that every broadcast and getting ripped for it on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. like this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or as simple so, as the San Diego so Chargers. I, I think it's the, the biggest test. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still get called. Yeah. All right, Johnny. So we, we've got this crazy ass course. I want to ask you about a couple of those holes because you mentioned it. Because you know, there there is a lot of mystery behind Los Angeles Country Club. I mean, we all know the little red flag, the LACC, as far as the logo is concerned, uh, and b- all three of us being from Southern California, there's a certain mystique around it that we just don't know a lot of. I have, I have a well. First question: Are there two courses? Is there a north and a south out there? Yeah. So yeah, they're, yeah, correct. Are they playing they're both? Playing on, they're playing on the north. They're parking. They're parking on the south and playing on oh, the north. Stop. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, so they're yeah. playing on the north course now. Listening to what I've I've read a little bit, I've heard some interviews. I'm talking. I mean, you know, I'm reading and listening to the Golf Channel. This course sounds unbelievable. There are blind shots, but the one question I've got for you before we get going is: you mentioned the drivable green, but there's after the drivable green, there's almost a par three that's just as long as the as the drivable green uh, uh, par four. So what the heck is going on with these par threes? Are they going to extend it from seventy eight yards to two hundred and eighty, which I've seen I think on number eleven? No, no. So number eleven, the natural. The natural, I think the natural, I think that when I played it uh, after the redesign. Wait, 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 wait. You played LA Country Club? Yeah, I played about uh, two years ago. What the hell? How come we're just finding about this now? I had a a friend who knew a friend, right? He was a member type of deal. And uh, I'll tell you one story, one quick story. On number five, it's it's a par four straight up the hill. And look, I'm not long. I'm the first one to admit I'm a senior golfer, right? I'm not long, right? A senior golfer that shoots like plus one, so shut up, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So I hit one um, that I thought was pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. And I had 205 
uphill. So let's just say he's playing 210 to the hole. And the member comes up to me and goes, hey, do you hit that good? I go, well, for myself, I thought I hit it pretty good. He goes, yeah, the pro tee's 75 yards behind you. And I'm like, I don't oh, get man. there in two. Uh, I, I won't. I, I mean, it's insane. Like, I mean, it's, it's it. That's so. What they did is, when they decided to possibly think, start thinking about a par uh, having a U.S. Open here, these kids hit it so far that that they just started building tee boxes back. So what they did yeah. is, I want to say they they want on eleven. I want to say it was two thirty or two forty, but it's thirty down. Right, so that's okay. two hundred yards. Okay, okay. So what they did is they built a tee box across the uh, the cart path, and now it's two ninety, <laughs> and they they could probably stretch it to two ninety five to three hundred if it's a back bend, because these kids are hitting four irons now like two forty. So they wanted to play like two thirty or two forty. It's also going away from the ocean, so there is help on the breeze there, right? Okay. If it does get a little windy. So they're wanting them to try to hit three and four irons into this hole. That's why, that's why you see these numbers. Number seven is going to be two eighty, but it's probably down fifteen, right? But that's a hole. That's a hole where you could have a pin in the middle of the green or in the back corner of the green, right, and make them play it from two seventy five, and then you could put a pin front right or front uh, back right and put it in the corner and play them at 175 and probably still have the same stroke average. That's how gnarly. That's, that's what's going to be creative. You're going to see more pins and they're going to call them sucker pins. They're going to be like, come on, come on. You can do it. Come on. Yeah. Seven, six, five, Amazing. you know, but what I think that I think the biggest thing about this golf course that you have to take in is the way that the USGA is going to set it up. They're now starting to, stop watering right they want it to play very very fast in certain areas and they want it to be where you've hit a great shot a drive or a layup and the ball just just keeps going and it just trickles into the rough and you're what was you know what was there was a couple of fairways that were showing you know on on instagram social media i don't know if you saw this title but it was like i don't know if it was number four or not but there's a certain tilt to some of these fairways but they shaved them so close that everything runs into the into the rough. How, how do you compete with some of this? So that's that's the that's a great 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 uh, point there, Bummer. Because what's happened is usually if you're on a say a, a course that's on the East Coast, right in Oakmont, it's just shaved twenty five to thirty yards, twenty five yep. to thirty yards, twenty five. Okay, these well, this huge. has so much undulation, right? That th- when they fasten the the fairways the fairways are tilted a bit, right? So they'll run it in. So actually there's a lot of, uh, a lot of give in the fairways here. Like 13 is 400, 504 yards up a hill, but the fairways tilted a little bit. So with a faster fairway, I think they're widening that fairway almost to 75 to 80 yards because, you know, because of the tilt, right? Damn. Well, what's crazy about that is now your green's elevated. You can't see it. Right. you got to be able to pound it, you know, to where you can see it. And that's usually in the into the wind. So that I think 13 is probably going to play the, the hardest of them all. Yeah. Damn. And then, and then you go to 14, you get a smile on your face because that's the Playboy Mansion. So that's the kind of fun things. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a couple of targets out there, right? The Playboy Mansion's out there. I think Lionel Richie's house is still out there. So, yeah, you get some targets. Yeah, it's on 
four green, five, four green, I think it is, the par three. <laughs> it's massive. So I hear you saying give and take, right? So they normally, like you said, they shave 25, 30 yards. It's narrow. <clears throat> like Blummer pointed out on Instagram, the, they were showing the angle of the fairways, but they're certainly wider. Um, in the give and take scenario, who who does this? Like who's as mentally tough as they go? And we can talk about how great the golfers are and who's hot right now. But I always think golf is so funny in that way because you'll have probably some of the regular, you know, the regular guys in the mix or the usual suspects as they say, but you'll also have some guys that maybe are just kind of grinders or guys that, like you said, know how to play a course like this or an unknown course. It made me think back to my first question, when you have the South and the North, maybe some of these guys played practice rounds on the South course and now they're parking on it. I'm joking, but um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty here. So, so give me, you know, I know this isn't like the gambling site, but like who, who do you think's ready for the task and who do you think's going to uh, kind of be able to grind out the, uh, the four days with this course? Well, I mean, look at I mean, the crystal ball is, is out there. But what things that's a little unique, and I, I, I think the way that the golf course has been set up, um, you know, it's got a, like a Royal Melbourne kind of feel to it. It's got an Australian type of look to it. You know, fast fairways, guff. you know, some of these are, are greens that are shaving straight into the bunkers. Um, uh, so you look at somebody like a Cam Smith, uh, that might be somebody like that has a good eye to him because he's like, wow, this looks like home. You might have some Australian golfers. I don't, I don't know. I didn't look to see who's in the field of all the Australian, but some of these kind of guys, you know, could be, uh, you know, uh, guys to look at. Um, you, 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 you obviously got to look at a guy like a local guy like Max Homa. Uh, Max Homa shot sixty one there in college, so he's got he's got a lot of. Um, you know, momentum going into this going, I really like to play here. Um, guy like Colin Morikawa. I mean, he, he has played there many times, a uh, local guy, you know, the one guy that I, I, I is always like under, he's just under all the time, the big names. And I, I, I kind of like him because of the consistency is Victor Hovland. Mm. You know, you talk about Rom, you talk about Scheffler, you talk about all these, but there's this Victor Hovland's always kind of under there. Um, but if you look at stats, right, you just look at pure stats right now. I mean, the way that Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler are playing is, is you know, you can't, you can't throw those guys out. Like it's, you know, it's almost like you look at an exacta and you say, okay, I'll put two favorites in with two guys that have a shot. And right. Play, you know, you know, you know it's, so, it's funny. That's, Cam, Cam Smith and some of those live guys, I was wondering, you know, four days of grinding it out. And these guys have been playing like three days of golf kind of in shorts and we, you know, like, but I actually had uh, written, (laughs) I had written down Cam Smith on my list um, just because, you know, before he left for the live tour, he was obviously on fire and now you add that Australian feel to it. So he was on there, but yeah, Hovland, I like, Um, there was, uh, oh, I mean, you know, uh, for longer shots, somebody was mentioning like Ricky Fowler's and, you know, finished whatever in the top 20 and 11 out of his last 13 tournaments. So, I mean, I I do think guys that have been grinding it out, is there anything to that? The guys playing three days versus four days and just being in the, in the spirit of it, or is that just kind of just, you know, just media? Well, I don't, I don't know. You, you, you look at a guy like Brooks, who's been playing the live tour and he went out and won the PGA. So, you know, these guys are all fit, right? So I I don't know. Uh, you know, 
at, at, at the very beginning is yes, I would completely think uh, that I wouldn't want to have a live player to, uh, to, to you're going to put a wager on them. Do the fact that it is in my mind more of a hit and giggle um, golf tournament that they they play in. Um, I don't think there's a lot of competitive energy there, um, and they know that they've already made the cut, right? So there's no cut on those things, right? It's 48 guys going out and 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 playing in shorts and and listening to music and and playing in you know like party. So so I, I I wouldn't do that, but then you know obviously somebody like Brooks and even Phil played good at the, the Masters, like he just you know these guys are are veteran guys. They 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 know how to prep and they know how to do their things. It's just you know, is does their golf does their golf swing and their golf game show up on a on a for four days at a major? That's but because they got used to this other type of of game uh, tour, tour that they're playing. Um, yeah, I would I wouldn't want to put any money on them because they haven't been under the gun. Uh, you know, in those things. So that's just my two cents, and that's you know I don't know if you guys want to go there, but that's a whole elephant in the no. room of what's going on right now, and that's. That's insane. That's insane. What's going on? So. No, I, I want to ask you about a couple more golfers, just because. But we will get into the live mess that is is crazy right now. To to be honest mm-hmm. with you, I mean, you wake up this morning and Jay Monahan, the, the commissioner, chairman, whatever he is of the mm-hmm. PGA, is uh, having you know uh, health issues because of this whole thing. So this is a pretty dramatic shift in golf. Mm-hmm. But uh, you yeah. mentioned the Australians, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Cam Smith, or any of those guys, because of the way this course is shaped like you said, like Royal Melbourne, that, you know, they would have an advantage? Well, I'll tell you right now, Adam, Adam Scott, I mean, that golf swing, how do you not fall in love with it? I mean, it's absolutely But he's also, I feel like he's kind of the guy that's older and mental and kind of has the patience and understanding to get through some of this stuff, right? You're, you're absolutely right, but his short game doesn't come into play there. I mean, I don't think he putts very well. I don't think he chips very well. He strikes. That's it what like I worry no about other. is the putting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, it gets, it gets very scary out there. Jason Day's games completely turned around. Mm-hmm. I don't like what he did. He won the week before, and then he didn't even play a practice round at the PGA. And he just because he says he needed mental rest. Okay, that's great. And you go out and shoot two seventy eights or whatever, and shake a guy's hand and say, "See you later." I didn't like that whole prep of that, yeah. but that's that's his body. That's what he wants to do. So that tells me that wow, you know, it's it's pretty gnarly out there to to, to go do that. But to do that for a major, I'd rather you take the week off and then go prep for the major. But I do like his game. Um, I think he's a very consistent player. And, yes, he, he will feel comfortable here. Um, I just don't know where he is mindset-wise, right? So yep. um, that was quite unique what he what he decided to do there. So, yeah, the, you know, that's uh, – you get a guy like maybe Shane Lowry who loves to play in the wind and what – See and and you like, but it's not – I don't know how windy it's going to be, but it, but he's a shot maker, right? I like him, yeah. Hit a high. So, so stuff like that um, – but again, it's it's just you know I, I look at a guy like Homa, I look at a guy like Hovland, um, I look at a guy like Kepka and these kind of guys. I mean, it is hard to win back to back majors, so you know you kind of you put Kepka and if there's four guys you want to pick, you put them for a top ten finish or whatever. Um, but I like the ball strikers here, the iron players here, because I do think it's more of a second shot golf course because yeah. of the widening of the fairways a little bit. You know, Morikawa is a great iron player, right? So. Those are the kind of guys that I'm kind of sensing um, could be in contention here. All right. Do, do you want to do a little friendly wager and maybe pick three golfers and we can revisit this after the tournament? What Do you we want to go that route? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to th- – I hate to say it, but I'm going to throw, I'm gonna throw uh, Kepka out. Um, but I'm going to say Scheffler, Ooh. 
I'm going to say uh, Hovland and Homa. All right, Marco, you got to get on this. You got to make sure that we remember these names because I'm going to change mine depending on who does better. <laughs> You're going to edit. After we're going to do a post edit, I'm going to name 12 gonna golfers insert, and, yeah. in groups of three. Hey, so I'm going to, I did write down a bunch. So, and, and it's interesting. You took Kepka out, but Kepka is like plus 115 to plus 105 or plus 115 to finish in the top 10 or in the top 15, something like that. So that's a, that's a, that's yeah, probably to your point. That. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, and that. that's what I mean. I think winning back to back would be tough, but that's not a bad bet. If you're thinking, Hey, you know, this guy's a no grinder. Doubt. He's, he's and playing he's won two opens. That's right. So I opens, got, you know, so I like, he knows how to play him. I like Cam Smith. Who else do I have here? Oh, you're taking a live guy. What's wrong with you? Hey, I got, I got, I think I got all, no, I got two live guys. I had wow. four guys in this group, so I got to throw McElroy out, but I got, I got Cam, Cam Smith, I got Kepka, and I got um, Jordan Spieth as my long shot. Yeah. Big short game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going Homa, Shane Lowry, and Hovland. That's who I've got. I picked Hovland, Brooks so. out also. Uh, I thought yeah. you had Morikawa on your list, but Homa. I did. I, well, slid they're in Cal there, guys, you know. I mean, I, I got to stay with my Cal guys. Right, but that that right, Homa with the course yeah, knowledge. There you go. Yeah, there. Yeah. A couple got, bears. I, I got to stick with bears. my bears. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. But I, <laughs> I like bears. the fact, I mean, just just expand a little bit. I mean, I love that Homa plays well in Southern California because he's where he's from. He, I mean, he really takes that into account. And I love the passion that he plays with and uh, the course knowledge I think is going to help him out. I liked your idea, Shane Lowry. He was kind of one of my sleepers, I think, for me, just because I think that he plays some of those wind conditions, if it does pick up out there, that he'll be good at it. And he's not flustered. I never see that dude flustered by anything. Um, but Hovland's swing, I just like watching his swing. If I could compress like he could, but his short yeah. game freaks me the hell out, though, man. He is too sketchy around the greens. And by the way, a year, ago, a year ago is horrendous. Yeah. I mean, but he's made improvement, but he's yeah. still not good. Yeah, big time. But he, he, he's very confident with his short game. He wasn't in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Yeah, I, yeah. I see it. I think we had nine different golfers, eight or nine different golfers for the three like of it. us. So that's good. Let's throw throw it, throw everything against the wall. Um, okay, so that's the fun. The fun stuff's out of the way. I want to talk to you about the Live Golf and PGA merger because th this was a serious fracture. And I've got a lot of questions about this. I don't even know if we have time or if you even have answers. But my boy John Adams is connected. He knows plenty of loopers, also known as caddies for those of those uh, wondering out there, but uh, he, he's connected within the sport and he's probably heard plenty of conversations. You're good buddies all over uh golf channel, by the way, you're Irishman. Yeah. Yeah. McGinley. Yeah. McGinley talking about all this stuff. So I'm really kind of curious. I mean, I know that you're not a live guy. I know that you were kind of upset when the whole thing happened, the fracture happened and they took some of the best golfers over there for a lot of money. Now the merger happens. Tell me a little bit about your uh, initial reaction and some of the feedback you got when you first heard about it. Well, my initial reaction was probably like the players, right? I thought it was just like, you got to be kidding me. What's going on here? Uh, Jay Monahan, you know, is now a hypocrite. Like, so you know, for two years, he's just, he's just really kind of, you know, you know, he brings in the 9-11 families. He brings in all of this kind of stuff of like, you got to really think about who you're going to do business with and what you're doing and, and just know that if you, you know, you, you leave here, you're never coming back and just really kind of adamant. And then all of a sudden, 
in a blink of an eye, there's a 180 degree turn, right? And what, what I learned first, first of all, this is an agreement. I mean, it's nothing's on paper, nothing's in contract. It's just something that's still, still, still trying to be ironed out. I mean, I'm always a wait and see guy. Um, what I didn't like right off the initial is how the fast reaction happened. And what I didn't like about it is, is how do you not kind of go to these guys and say, Hey, just want to let you know, we are in talks with, with the, uh, the investment, um, the, the fund, uh, mm-hmm. not with live. I'm, I'm talking about piff. the fund, right? The, the piff, right. Um, and and we are or we are going to do some things right off the bat, and we're we're going to get rid of the litigation, right? We've shaken hands on that, but we are going to try to work our way into putting an agreement together um, to where it will benefit everybody on the tour and blah blah blah. Okay, and just go massage it, right? Go slowly into it, kind of mm-hmm. get the talks going, and just, instead they just went, "Hey, we're shaking hands." And that just really pissed off a lot of players, right? So, yes, if you're a Rory, if you're a Rom, if you're one of these guys that are an elite player, this is going to be really, really good for you. But if Mm -hmm. you're a Grayson Murray or somebody that's 130th on the order of merit, you really have no clue what's going on. So there were a lot of heated people in that meeting, right? And there was a lot of people who stood up and said, I really question our leadership. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I don't know, Jay, if you're our guy, to be honest with you. And some of the things, Blummer, that I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, was some of the things that were shouted out there, but it will never happen, was creating a union for the players. Mm. And you guys are union guys, right? You're old. Well, you used to be union guys. So, and And I know, talking to you, Jeff, that the Major League Baseball, so uh, the Players Association, is probably one of the strongest unions in all of sports. And yes. but they can't do that because they're all independent contractors, so they can't create a union. I've heard. So you know, so I know that you know when you guys go into negotiation, man, it's a it's a dogfight, right? Yeah. No, it's it's a collective group of guys. I didn't realize that it was. Uh, you know, I get it that it's independent contractors, but at the same time, I mean, when you break it down, we're all it's a players' association. So I don't understand why they couldn't get around uh, some of the legality of that and create a union to protect their own entity. Because you know, if there were if there was a uh, professional golfers players' association, a PGPA or something like that, it would make sense to be able to protect their rights against some of these things that are going on and have them speak as a collective group. Because I agree with you in the sense that this unilateral movement by a Jay Monahan and being surprised like this is why you have a union so that you can be involved in the negotiations or be involved in some of the protection against uh, what's happening right now and just having having mergers and decisions just made. I just thought it was really interesting how the Saudis kind of created the Live Golf Tournament separated themselves and then exposed the antitrust issues that the PGA has in America and massaged themselves into purchasing an American sport. That's where I'm kind of I'm freaking out a little bit. What's what's crazy about this is how you said this, the, the players board and all this kind of stuff. What I've got out of this, what this is my two cents. Nobody ever told me this because right off the initial bat, my first intention and I started asking people, a lot, and nobody could give me the answer. Who hires 
and who fires Jay Monahan? And I still don't have that answer to this. Day. Really, it's n- nobody knows. Not like sponsors. It's not. I always thought that there's not. I always thought. Well, I have a, I have a pretty good general idea, but I always thought that the nine players that there are on the board, mm-hmm. right? Those players from the golf, you know, all the PGA Tour, they 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 vote on these nine guys to make decisions. But little would I know, but they're behind that is what they call a policy board, right? Yep. And the policy board is five guys, players, and now five businessmen. And that's where I found out, like, unfortunately, again, my two cents, that players board means absolutely zero. What they do is they bring ideas and things to the policy board and say, hey, the players are wanting to do this. And then they go, yay or nay. But that policy board of those five business, that's where the name Jimmy Dunn is coming up in these, these uh, talks. He's that's in that board. He's on that board. Jay mm-hmm. Monahan is on that board. Well, it used to be nine, and now it's ten because Jay Monahan was the he was the final decision. Five and four, five and you know, whatever. He's that he's that final decision. So so that's where I found out where the power of the PGA tour is in that policy board now. Yep, but that's very similar to what's going on in Major League Baseball. You have the commissioner, you have the owners, you have the players, but there's also a players board that will present and vote, quote unquote, on rule changes. But guess what? Ultimately, it's Rob Manfred. So ultimately, in this situation, it was Jay Monahan. But it really seems like he's working on the direction of Jimmy Dunn and the and the other guys that are you know they're they're all throwing it on the table, right? And then they're going to you know. So like, you know, when Rory, it was in his, in his, and I thought he handled himself phenomenally in Canada, um, mm-hmm. is where he, Jimmy Dunn kind of threw it on the table. He says, you know what, Rory, you got 280 yards over water. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Okay. Well, of course you're going to go for it, Rory, because you're one of those elite players, right? You're one of those guys that, you know, it's not going to have a problem with financial backing. Now, when I look at this thing from 10,000 feet and I look down, <clears throat> and you give me five to 10 years, I think it's going to be good for golf. I really do. But how that framework and how that structure comes out and how they're going to be able to mend both, I still think the live tour is going to continue next year. And it's not going to be this whole combination uh, of the tours all coming together. I, I, I still think that that's still going to go. Um, and, the one thing that, you know, is, is out there that is not a lot of people talking about is in the litigation stuff, right? I think that in the litigation, there were on both sides angles of attack that were going to have to open up serious stuff that the, 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 the tour and the Saudis don't want to be exposed. Mm-hmm. And one of that probably would be the, the player's pension fund and how much money's in that. Yeah. And I have a feeling that that, so what I found out also is the way that the, the Saudis work in their litigations is they just continually muddy the waters so they can just <laughs> no. they have an un just, they just have a, so much money that they can just push it out another six months, push it out another six months, push it out another six months. And that's what that, that was bleeding the PGA tour. They spent fifty million dollars on lawyers. So. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to get to. So the, anytime the lawyers are involved, that's exactly. I mean, if you've ever been in any litigation at all, um, I mean, that's who gets paid in this. The public investment fund, the Saudi public investment fund, has a um, a value 
of $612 billion. So you're looking at that's it. How much money? Yeah, yeah, just six hundred twelve billion. It just billion. Gets filled up. It just keeps getting filled saying, up. It's, oh, perpe- it's perpetual exactly. income because of the oil. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so they don't have uh, um, to to John's point about muddying the waters. I mean, that's really what this all comes down to. And you all know this as we get older. I mean, it's where the dollars are. I think it's disheartening mm. um, when you get in these organizations. And I'm going to bring politics in for one second, but. Um, they were joking about Nancy Pelosi's record with stocks, right? I mean, you know, she sold right at the right time and then bought right at the right time. And then they have a vote and all of a sudden this is a much more um, leveraged industry. And you're like, oh my God, she's, she's better than the best stock pickers in the country. But I find that that's kind of the same thing we're dealing with here. Uh, Jay Monahan, um, Jimmy Dunn, these guys, it's like, oh, every decision they make has to do with, oh yeah, now we're, you know, $100 billion richer. Hundred million dollars richer, or or however that rolls, but you know, follow the dollars. Um, those things always seem to trump everything else, and there isn't a lot of accountability. And I think that's where, if stuff needs to get cleaned up, it's going to be that. Whether it be Johnny's suggestion of a players' union, or to your point, Jeff, about like I mean, the best guys always get paid in the NBA. There's plenty of guys, you know, the top three, five guys on every team, they, they're, you know, they're millionaires. They're, they're doing great. It's the guys, the 11th, 12th guy on the bench that you worry about. And that's really what we're talking about here. Are we going to have a tour or are we going to just have the top 50 golfers in the world making tons of money? And then you have guys, you know, college guys coming and going. So um, they do need to get it ironed out. It doesn't really matter what they call it, live tour, PGA tour, whatever it is, but it needs to get more organized. And, and maybe that's what John was alluding to. Five years from now, it'll probably be ironed out and organized, and we may forget some of the, uh, some of the I guess, pathways to get here. But, you know, you, you bring up a good point, Tuttle, and not to expand on the, on the uh, political side of things. But we're, we're talking that, you know, DOJ got involved here a little bit. So I have a feeling... That, you know, look at how much the Saudis actually support a lot of major business here in the United States, right? Ooh, the Coca-Colas of the world, uh, you know, a lot, yeah, the list goes on. I mean, there's there's probably 30 or 40 major corporations uh, that actually have brought them into play here, right? They're they're in the F1. They're, they're actually looking into backing somebody for basketball. You know, they're, they're, they're in um, – they're all – they're, they're involved somehow, some way, right? And that's just, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that policy board got a phone call and said, hey, let's not piss these guys off, right? Let's come <laughs> to an agreement here and, and just keep them happy. There's a, there's a way. I guarantee you there's a way. And so let's, let's stop battling this, this angle, right? So I, I, I'm wondering if, if, if the phone had rung and it was Washington. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. So. No, I, I think you're right. I think they do get involved in how the, all of this process works out because this will be th- this is a, this is on American soil where they're playing this sport. But they they're, they're going to be cautious in how far they're going to let the the Saudi money get in there and some of the sponsorships. Because I heard, I mean, this is pretty random, but I heard through you know some of these articles that Aramco, this big uh, oil company, is going to be one of the major title sponsors of the PGA, and that's a Saudi backed oil company, and I. I mean, it, it, it seems a little scary if you start to let them infiltrate that far into, you know, because American sport is a, is a lot of money. There's 
PGA can be a billion dollar sport now. Uh, F1, like you said, if football, basketball, baseball, they're all billion dollar industries. And that's where they want to quote unquote sports wash their money. Um, but you know, that, that's pretty heavy on the political side. I mean, that's probably out of my depth to be honest with you, but at the same time, I want to, you know, the, the players are where a lot of the controversy is going to come because you're not going to hear too many press conferences with, uh, the, the Saudis and the PIF organization. You're going to hear the Brooks Kepskas. You're going to hear the Dustin Johnsons. You're going to hear the Rory McElroys. Um, and that's where I kind of, I want to know how, how does that work? And then the world rankings are. I'm I'm curious about how how long does it take to get these guys back in? Because I don't believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. That live golf was there. They had no way to rank these guys because they weren't playing on the similar you know status of the PGA and other tournament, the DP World Tour across you know the world. How do you integrate these guys back into the world rankings? And how long would that take? Yeah, again, we got to look at the framework, right? We got to see how the structure is going to come together. I mean, right now, this is a non-binding agreement, right? So you mm-hmm. got to understand that, like, it's just been a, a big splash in the water, right? And they're, now they got to try to iron it out. Um, but what's happened is you can't have world ranking points. First of all, you have five people that are on that board, right? You have the USGA. They weren't fa- fans of Live. You have uh, Jay Monahan. He hated them. Now he loves them. You have the DP World Tour guy who actually more or less is underneath Jay Monahan because they have bought a large portion of that of that tour, right? And then you have the guy from the Royal and Ancient. He wasn't a fan of Liv, right? So now you have four guys, and you have to have five. Then you have this other guy. I don't know who the hell this guy is, but he's a player to be named later, right? So, <laughs> so there's five guys that make this decision, right? So, and four of them didn't like it right off the bat. So, you know, what I've heard through the rules of, of the game is – that you have to have 72 holes and you have to have a cut and you have to be a tour that has experienced golf tournaments for one year straight. Well, they've got their one year in, but they're still doing a 48 person hit and giggle with no cut. Right. So, uh, with 54 holes. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to go in and change the bylaws of how to get world rankings. Now. I don't know about that. What I did hear, which is going to be, Crazy good for the elite players. Again, it's a non-binding agreement. It's a lot of stuff that's being thrown on the table, and none of this is concrete at all, right? Mm-hmm. But they're talking about these elevated events, which are $20 million, having 80 players in no cuts. You know how much money those guys are going to make? Damn. It's absolutely stupid. So how does the 81st guy get in? How does the 100th guy get in? Like These are a lot of things where, you know, it's just a grind for you to go win the John Deere so you can get into that 80, right? And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, honey, we're multi-multi-millionaires, right? Because, you know, that's you know they're going to be playing for winning checks of $3 million. So guys like Scheffler and Ron, these guys are never going to, you know, never going to have to worry about ever getting below 80, right? Because of their, their status, right? And, and their game. You know, a lot of things that are out there and a lot of guys that are talking about things is the loyalty part of it you gotta under john rom got a lot of money hideki matsuyama got a lot these were a lot of people there's there's there probably a good 12 people that said no i'm a pga tour guy thank you for the offer i'm staying here well now you send off uh, cam smith who got 125 million dollars to say hello okay and then all of a sudden now he's able to come back 
onto this tour and start playing, well, where's my compensation? I stayed loyal to you, right? And so that how that's going to iron out, I, I have no idea, right? That, but that's going to have to find a way somehow to say, I stay loyal to you, and this is what you do. So, like, Rory's a per- perfect example. Because he was the face of the PGA Tour, he never got offered anything, right? But he, he's so successful. He looked at him and said, yeah, those guys should be compensated somehow, some way, mm-hmm. you know? I, I don't know. Uh, so, and it wouldn't surprise me if if they're still trying to steal players to come on over. And, or, or maybe that's the whole deal. Stop, stop, stop doing it. Stop doing it. You know, I would imagine that that would have to be part of the agreement, right? It's just keep things the way it is for another year or two until we iron this out. You can't poach any more players. And Monahan's been adamant about saying, I'm making the call here. The PGA Tour is making the call and everything. Okay, I don't, I don't so believe that guy, guy as far as I can throw him right now. Yasser, who's, who's way up here with $650 billion. Mm-hmm. And Monahan's. So there's a lot of people that say, how does Monahan still have his job? So that's it. Well, guess what? This guy up here. Shook his hand, so he has a job if he wants it. He's got the marionette strings, dude. Yes, exactly. So I just don't know how the powers of B are gonna, how it's gonna trickle down in the in the in you know, down the line. So it's gonna be quite interesting because I'll tell you this much: if Jay Monahan resigns and he's no longer the commissioner, you know for sure that he got something under the table that was really healthy. Yep. Yeah, and like you said, the guys that stayed loyal got nothing. You know, it's interesting, the Rob Manfred and the Roger Goodells, you know, they got nothing on Monaghan. I mean, it's a really interesting, there's so many dissimilarities, meaning, you know, there isn't a union and there isn't an ownership group that keeps them there. But somehow nobody ever knows how, how these guys get paid and how they keep their job because it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough gig, obviously, but um, I don't know. It just seems like Jay Monahan is, um, to Jeff's point, you know, just on the puppet strings right now. And it, like you said, if he resigns or has these health issues that continue and they have to see him on his way, I think he'll probably go buy a yacht and never be heard from again. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? Guess who hasn't spoken? What? Tiger Woods hasn't spoken. Yeah. When, when's that coming? That's a great point. Still hasn't spoken. Okay, get okay. Put put your tiger hat on. What do you think he does say? What do you think's going through the skull of uh, Tiger Woods right now? I'd be pissed. You think he's so hot right pissed. now that he can't speak? I think he's a wait and see guy, right? Uh, but I I I I'd be pissed because I got in an airplane. I kept Ricky Fowler here. I worked with Rory. We put twenty twenty. We put eighteen events together at twenty million dollars a piece. We got these guys to stay. And then you just do that. Okay, I'd so that that's an excellent point. You know, behind the scenes, we don't know. Tiger's not one of those guys that's going to go out there and bloviate and say, I did this, I did that. Uh, Rory and, and Rom and a lot of these guys really took the brunt of, we're not going to take the money. We believe in the prestige and the honor of PGA. Tiger was kind of behind the scenes, you know, convincing these guys to stay. He was kind of that, not silent partner, but how long before, how long before the players – not unionized, but the players kind of galvanize and say, you know what, Jay Monahan, we're done. If this is going to move forward, we want you out and we want Tiger Woods to lead the PGA. How long before Tiger Woods is in that leadership uh, role? Because uh, that seems like a logical pro- progression. Uh, to be honest with you, Walmer, I don't think he wants that role. He, he likes to be on the set. He's still competitive, right? He still has juices. He still wants to, mm-hmm. to compete, even though he only has like uh, one and a half legs, right? But 
he, I don't think he wants to be in that limelight, right? I think he likes to be behind the scenes guy saying, no, we did this. We should do this, 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 and this. And, and it's kind of like, it's, it's like, uh, the three of us, or the three of us sitting at a table with tiger and we throw this stuff on the table and he says, uh, I think we should do this, 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 and this. And we go, great. Okay. Let's do that. You know, because like he has, whatever he says has a lot of merit and it has a lot of power behind it. But he has to be on the advisory board or whatever it is moving forward. And I don't know if he's on that policy board, right? One of the five players. I don't know if you have to be an active player to be on that. I don't know that, right? And and I don't know if, you know, Tiger's now really into being with his kids, right? He's like watching Charlie play golf now and caddying Mm -hmm. for him and, and his daughter, you know, trying to, you know, I think she's in college now. And so I just think he's trying to be more of a dad and he had a full another surgery. So he's done for the rest of the year. Yeah. I just think he's just one of these guys that, you know, just wants to sit back and stay under the radar. But I guarantee you his phone's been blowing up and he speaks to who he wants to speak to. Right. But they, mm-hmm. when he does speak and he tells us to his friends like Justin Thomas and these kind of guys, they don't speak on his behalf. They just go, mm-hmm. so I've heard rumors through through people that um, he's not happy, but I think he's kind of a wait and see kind of guy though to see how it's all going to go down. So because he got offered like eight hundred million dollars to go to live, something crazy like that. I I heard Matsuyama got like seven hundred fifty million. I didn't realize. I mean, four hundred four hundred million he got offered. Because he own, I mean, he's basically the best player in Asia. He can take that entire continent with him. Here's Japan. <laughs> Four hundred million dollars. I mean, this is like this money is. It almost seems like monopoly money. I already mentioned the PIF is six hundred twelve billion dollar war chest, but it's. I mean, I hate to say this. I mean, we have our own lives to live. I'm glad it's not a decision that I have to make. To be honest with oh, you. Yeah. But again, but again, Tuttle, that's a perfect example. So why are you doing just this handshake and making this big, quick decision? And not, not just that, you're doing it before the U.S. Open. That's, that's not fair to the USGA, right? So um, mm-hmm. I think it's something they should have massaged. Said, hey, look, at here's the deal. The behind-the-scenes thing, we're going to stop suing each other. Let's, let's just stop that right now, okay? We are open to working with you, but... Let me talk to the board. Let me t- let's let's just keep massaging this, trying to put a framework together, a structure together. You can kind of like get the things whispering through the wind, you know, with the players and stuff. The the, the players board can kind of you know work with the policy board and kind of just say, hey, we're going to have a meeting here in uh, in at the Travelers, you know, in Connecticut. If you're there, uh, you're more than welcome to come in. We'll throw a couple more ideas out. You know, you got to You just don't want eighty it. You know. It's almost like it was a desperate situation move. And I think it looked really, yeah. really bad for Jay Monahan. You know, it really did. And, um, and, and it really kind of opened the doors of, uh, this opened the doors to where these guys are, you know, when the media is hammering them. And the first thing is like, you know, as much as I do, by the way, that meeting that they had, that players meeting that they had in Canada, nothing really was said, except like we shook their hands. So. What, I, what I think happened was that PGA Championship happened and Brooks Kepka won. And Brooks has always kind of had that, uh, he's always kind of had that, uh, 
I feel like he's the one guy that kind of desired to be back on the PGA Tour because he loves the competition and he loves being considered the best. And when he was playing in live, he's not considered the best player in the world. So I think there was a little bit of ego involved. But I think that that PGA tournament for me, just on the outside, looked like it opened up the opportunity for guys that wanted to come back and kind of create this merger. Did you feel that at all? Because I feel like those guys on live love the money, but they don't like the competition. I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, if somebody came and offered me $40 million to jump ship and I was in my late 30s to early 40s, I would take it and run. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, I would understand yeah. the circumstances, the ramifications. I know that I can't go back. I know that I can't play these. I totally understand that. Charles Howe was very professional about it, right? They're like, yeah, I'm doing this because this is going to be better for me. I know I can't beat JT. I know I can't beat Justin Speed. A guy like Cam Smith, you think about Cam Smith, right? Cam Smith got $125 million, but after the win in the Open Championship, he's exempt to all four majors for the next five years. So he doesn't have mm. to worry about world ranking points, right? He doesn't have to worry about it. So he's yeah. got five years of all the majors. Well, if I play great in the majors, my world ranking points are going to go up anyways, right? So yep. so that's that. I don't like the way that, you know, kind of Phil handles things. You know, he gets his ego involved. and He's aloof, I just man. don't yeah. like the way he taught it. Now, was he was he right? Yeah. Pretty, he was pretty right, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just don't like the way he kind of went about it, right? So, um, you know, and then the comments are like, you know, he's playing a practice round at LACC when this whole thing goes down. He's like, hey, did something happen today? I heard something happen today. You know, it's just like stuff like that. Just kind of, you know, the optics. Yeah. He's just, you don't want to be hanging out with that guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, and he, he, he wins the PGA at the age of 50. Just be humble. And it's the world's yours. Exactly. The world is yours, you know, and uh, just, you know, now I heard he's bought like over 25 to 30 million dollars worth of land all around him in Rancho Santa Fe. He's like one of the biggest landowners in the in the valley. Oh jeez. You know yeah. Blum, you make a really good point about the uh about when you should do it or how you should do it, but I think it's interesting from a from a financial standpoint in other sports as well. Like, you know, when you're kind of on your way out the swan song a- aspect, but I said this before about Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Like Barry Bonds was the greatest baseball player on the planet. But he didn't like all the notoriety that Maguire and Sosa got. And mm-hmm. it was, you can say it's the money, like the financial aspect. And, and Johnny was saying, you know, first one to raise your hand when you know what you're doing, like Charles Howell. But that, that piece that you asked about is something I think that remains to be seen because how the world ranking golf points uh, play out and where people think they are. Because I think at that level, the competitive drive and the competitive juices sometimes outweigh the dollars. And I think it's, you know, you can do exactly what Johnny said. It's age, family security. And then, but when you're 25, 26, best in the world, like money, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not struggling to pay your bills. So I do think there's a huge tug of war for the, for the right, you know, type of players. And I think that's the part that we're, you know, obviously bantering about. We'll have to see how it plays out. Because when you're 25 and 26 and you're really successful on tour, it's about legacy, right? It's about your, you know, where yeah. your name is going to be in golf, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, that, that, that's a big thing. That's why guys like Rom, you know, stayed. He's like, you know, I, I, yes, I, I went to my wife and I said, hey, is this $400 million deal that is on my desk, 
is that going to change our life? No, it's not. You know, I, we, mm-hmm. we make enough money. We're, we're very successful. It's not going to change our life. Right. So, you know, you know, if you have a good financial, you know, advisor and, and everything's being set up for the, your future and you're, you're good for the rest of your life, it's, it's just a number, right? I, I want to be a guy who is going to go into the hall of fame. I want to be a guy that's going to be known, you know, that it's the Sevies of the world that kind of motivate him. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah it is one point. of his best friends jump ship like Garcia. Yeah, he did, you know? Um, but again, Garcia is like, I don't want to play 14 tournaments a year. I like to be a father now. Like I, I've won my mate. Like, you know, he's still going to try to qualify for these things. Right. That's great. And he did, he did he shot two sixty sixes to get in, you know, good for him. Right. But he was like, I don't want to be told what I have to do, you know, and I, I understand that, but stop bitching about, you know, the Ryder cup is a whole nother thing that I've actually opened my mind to now. So I know that we're going to go off on another tangent here and I, I got to leave here in about seven minutes, but, <laughs> but I, I've opened my eyes to where this has gone. The Ryder cup, you know, they're saying you're not going to be affiliated with the Ryder cup. Now, by the way, the Ryder cup is run by the PGA of America. It's not run by the PGA tour. The president's cup is run by the PGA tour. So they can make their decisions, right? So one mm-hmm. of the things right off the bat is Monahan said, look, if you leave, you're not going to play the Ryder's Cup, Ryder Cup. You're never going to be an assistant captain or a captain, like all these things, right? But then I started thinking about him. Brad Faxon had a great point. He said, it's not the PGA Tour versus the DP World Tour. It's the USA versus Europe. Yeah, And that opened my eyes a little bit. It's the best players from the United States versus the best players from Europe. And that's how I think the Ryder Cup. I don't care what tour you're on. I need my best. Because when you think about it, you know, McGinley was very good at this, right? Mm -hmm. For one week, you have 12 egos show up on your doorstep and you got to get them to work together. Right? And that's not easy to do. Right? And he was very successful in doing that. So if you think about it, you got, I don't know, five guys, four guys from Liv joining eight guys from the PGA Tour. When they get there, they throw all that stuff out the door. They're playing for the United States. They don't talk about live. They don't talk about the PGA Tour. The only ones that are going to bring that up is the press, right? The media. So that's where they yeah. just have to say, I have no comment. We're here as a team. We're, we're representing the United States of America. And I don't ha- we don't need to talk about the tours. This has nothing to do with the tour, right? This is about playing for the United States. And so I'm very open to that. I'm very open to ho- hopefully that will happen you know, uh, down the road. It's not going to happen this year. That's for sure. And Kepka is the best player in the United States with Scheffler, right? Flat out. It, it's obvious. And I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to be on that team. And Europe's the same way. I think you nailed the quotes though. You asked about a crystal ball earlier. That's exactly what they're going to say. We're here to play for the U S you know, no comment about the rest yeah. of it. That's, I mean, I think in yeah. the next year you're going to hear that quote a lot. Yeah. So 2025, what's it going to look like? Right. And yeah. by the way, sorry, well, by the way, no, you're good. the Ryder Cup's in Italy. Who, <laughs> who plays it? There's two guys out of Italy. Like, it's not like you go Seriously. to Italy to go play golf, right? You go to, what, is it going to be know, the like, Molinari so brothers like, on that team? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're ca- one's a captain, one's probably going to be an assistant captain, <laughs> you know? Or, you know, so, or they're both going to be assistant captains. But, um, so that's, you know, that's how I see that happening. It's like, it's Italy. It's going to be like, eight hours ahead of us, like you're going to wake up at four in the morning and see what's going Like, it's not going to be that big. Right now, if this was in New York and Beth page black, that's a different story. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah, you're damn right. Hey, Johnny, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for the insight. Thank you for the friendship, man. Good hanging out with you. And uh, I can't wait to tell you that my golfers beat the hell out of your golfers. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I look forward to the Open Championship. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you guys want to bring me on, I'm here for the Open Championship. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have you on again. Thanks for coming on, John. Absolutely. You got it, bud. All right, take care, guys. <laughs> well, I think the format's changing for the better here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. I don't know. We're going to have to still come up with a name change, Blummer, but uh, yeah. that was great. It was great to have Johnny Adams on. We've had him on before. Those lifelong listeners to the podcast know our golf experts on. Former looper, caddy. And um, that was fantastic to have him on. As you guys always uh, know, if you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Blummer. Yep. We appreciate all the military, first responders, frontline workers, all of you teachers enjoying the summer. We greatly appreciate you. And the thing we always tell you at the end of every podcast, no matter what we're named, as long as Blummer and Tuttle are together, we're getting after it. You better believe it. dermatologist has been doing that to me Dur what's wrong with your face you all right oh it's not all my face <laughs> come on jeff can't I mean, you see can't you see can't you, it's right there in front of you thank you i i always i always thought it was obvious i i'm with you adam so like i thought it was obvious yeah Johnny, they just keep right finding the stuff. shoot man hey i thought we i thought we wore hats for a reason but he laid it up there man yeah, it's it teed like, it up eh, eh. Ooh, yeah, exactly. it up. I like it. All right, here we go. Three, two.